The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the first Brahmavihara is metta, M-E-T-T-A, and it's usually translated to English as loving kindness, though there are people who feel that that's not a good translation because um, uh, of the love thing. The, uh, somehow uh, loving is a little bit, they feel is too high a standard to measure it against um, because uh, then you're supposed to be loving to everyone and, um, and uh, they think that rather than being loving um, because you, you can't necessarily love everyone is the idea, they say but rather, uh, but you can have goodwill to everyone you can be friendly towards everyone and there are people, for, for example, that you might not like and if you think you're supposed to be loving to everyone, then you're not, then that means like then you're not allowed to dislike them, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, there are people maybe you don't like, but you can have goodwill and be friendly towards them. This is part of the argument not to use loving kindness as a word. And um, and I think it's a little bit helpful this idea that um, I mean there are people for whom it's. Uh, it's challenging to be with. They're hard to be with. They're maybe always angry or always rude or something. Or and so uh, it's kind of you know you feel like you have to be a little bit careful being with them, a little bit on the guard, and and um, and so you have to kind of you know it's kind of you know it's a little disturbing to be with them, not comfortable to be with them. And um, and so to be loving is maybe too high a, a goal, but it is possible to have goodwill. And uh, to wish them to wish them well, to have a friendly attitude towards them, um, approach to who they are. So some people translate uh, it as goodwill. Some people as benevolence. Um, the Buddha never had a definition for loving kindness. You have to more understand it in the context of uh, that uh, the suttas, what it might mean. Uh, one of the earliest definitions in the tradition after the Buddha was to uh, define it as friendliness and. Uh, some of you know that the word for friend is a cognate of word for metta. Friend is mitta. So the idea is that they're closely connected. So the idea of being friendly, um, and the, in one of these ancient texts talks about it's like what you have, feeling you have for a really good friend. And so you expand that. And um, one of the, uh, it seems, I would say, in my interpretation of these ancient texts, the ancient teachings, is that um, uh, we take a very basic human way of relating to others uh, that are, you know, uh, and then we expand it outwards to become more and more universal. So it's okay to have people that you have primary relationships with, to have goodwill, love, familial feelings to people. Uh, it's fine to have those things, you know, denying those. But then you take that and rather than limiting it to those people, the idea is to expand it outwards to include more and more people. Uh, not just your family, not just the people you're particularly friends with, <clears throat> but then to your neighbors, to your wider community, to your, beyond your ethnic group, beyond your national group, beyond till it becomes everyone, uni- universalized attitude of... So the idea of universalizing our innate capacity for goodwill is part of the direction this practice is going. The... Um, and then one of the, also after the Buddha, seemingly, um, one the other kind of uh, reference point for this kind of goodwill is uh, the uh, 
the care or the goodwill, the love that a mother has for a child. And um, whether that's too high a standard or not, or is it really the appropriate reference point, that's, we can argue it, but some people find it very meaningful, the kind of paternal feeling. <clears throat> the problem with that is that um, if you go around having paternal feelings for all everybody else and your friends, it probably sets up a little funny dynamic. <clears throat> and uh, so, you know, like, you know, you're the f- parent, you know, and, and, um, and uh, so uh, anyway, uh, the earlier idea of it being somehow more connected to friendship uh, is more of a sense of equality and everyone's equal rather than someone who's a parent looking down at the kid who needs help. Um, <clears throat> so it's meant to be something which is um, uh, something that uh, we're universalizing and I, in that regard, you know, the first feelings of co- contact, love, goodwill that happens between people happens uh, right when we're young children, babies. The connection with parents, in fact, or siblings or family. And then as we grow up, but then it begins, starts being expanded. The kid, little kid starts having feelings of goodwill or friendship towards their friends, their, their playmates in school. And then at some point it gets a little more complicated as we get older because then hormones kicked in. And so then there's other interests that kind of get uh, connected to the goodwill, the friendship, the love. And, and not to say that it's wrong to have those things happen, but uh, it, then it tends to have, a, a romantic love tends to have an exclusive quality to it, or, or, or it's not exclusive, at least it has a directed quality. Um, some people say projected quality, where it's directed towards people, whereas in the the general approach to this goodwill that the Buddha emphasized, it's kind of in some ways undirected in the sense that it's not excluding anyone else. It's just an open field of goodwill that people might walk into and be the recipients of, but uh, the idea is it's not evoked because of the people that are there, who they are so much as it's just a a state of quality of being. Um, So for me... um, when I was introduced to this Buddhist practice of loving-kindness, of metta, uh, I was dis, uh, disinterested in it, is probably say it mildly. Uh, I, I had come from a Zen training for 10 years, and in Zen uh, you don't do anything sentimental, and, um, and, uh, and you don't do anything artificial. You don't try to do, make something happen, you know, just kind of just be, kind of, and accept things, but you don't try to... And, um, and so when I first heard about this metta practice, that's how I was introduced to it, through the meditation practice on it, it feel, felt artificial. You're kind of making something happen rather than just being with how things are. And you're also, um, you know, it's, a little bit, it's too sentimental, you know, it's whatever. And so I basically ignored it for a while. But uh, what happened for me was that um, as, my, as the mindfulness practice developed for me, one of the things it does is you, you, encounter to, you encounter the resistance, the limitations, the encounter the blockages that exist within you. And as those blockages uh, started to dissolve through the, uh, through the mindfulness practice, then uh, it felt kind of like the, the, um, the crust around the heart fell away. And then the heart was just there in, a, in its own radiant, sensitive way. And then in that space then um, uh, what welled up in me was a strong feelings of, that identified with what the teachers were talking about when he talked about loving kindness. And what was nice, what stood out for me was, when it first arose for me quite strongly, it didn't have an object. 
it wasn't dependent on thinking about someone in a particular way to kind of that, that if I thought about them that way then or that part of them then it evoked my my loving kindness it just didn't need people <laughs> I didn't need people to have love <laughs> and it just kind of radiated and was just there and uh and that became my kind of entryway to this practice of loving kindness. And now I cherish it. I think it's a wonderful practice. I don't think it's artificial. Um, I don't think it's sentimental. And, uh, and, but rather it's kind of just uh, tapping into a natural capacity of the heart that uh, is there if it doesn't get blocked. And so um, whether you do, so even though that's, I read to you earlier that mindfulness is not enough, um, I think mindfulness is quite powerful to kind of give birth to this, for some people, give birth to this uh, reference, this, this experience of, of goodwill, loving kindness. And um, one of the attitudes, you know, that I had maybe from my earlier idealistic kind of approach is that, well, this is sentimental. It's not the real thing, loving kindness. You know, I'm going for the awakening, for the real thing. You know, you know there's none of this kind of kindergarten Buddhism and, <laughs> you know, and uh, the um, but in fact, uh, I think it's the opposite. Is that uh, uh, the more uh, developed and mature a person comes in this practice, uh, the more their being, their quality, how they are, the disposition is characterized by uh, the capacity for uh, warmth, human warmth, human, and that warmth takes the form of dif- different forms. It takes the form. Uh, form of, of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And, uh, and then, and that you, you find in the suttas, repeatedly, places where uh, the Buddha describes a path to liberation, to awakening, that goes through loving kindness, that uses the Brahma-viharas uh, to, get to, all, to get right up to the, to the edge of liberation. And uh, so it's a, it can be not, it's not just second-rate Buddhism, you know, it's, uh, it's first-rate Buddhism because it can take you all the way to liberation. So it's very important in this early tradition. So I want to read to you a couple of um, um, uh, passages from the Buddha. And the first is a sense of uh, is radiating. Nowadays it's called radiating metta, where you radiate it out to glow it out from, your, from you without necessarily an object. You just kind of, you kind of establish it and radiate outwards. Uh, one abides pervading the East with a mind accompanied with loving kindness. And likewise, the South, the West, the North, also above, below, horizontally, everywhere. And all over, one pervades the whole world with a mind accompanied with loving kindness. Extensive, expanded, limited, limitless, free from hatred and ill will. So that's so it's well developed. And here, I think most people say that these kinds of passages refer to meditation practice, where you develop this and it grows in you, and it becomes this so powerful. It seems like it spreads in all directions, expansively and unlimitedly, in all things. And it's quite a wonderful, special thing to have a concentrated mind. A concentrated mind is a mind that can stay on track, on focus, on the theme. Doesn't get distracted. Doesn't wander off. And uh, a concentrated mind is a unified mind, which means that um, our emotions, our thoughts, our bodily sensations, everything kind of comes together and is unified around the theme of the meditation practice. And, and it sustains it over a long time. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the, the theme is like, 
all there is in the universe when you're kind of really focused and absorbed in this, whatever you're focusing on. And one of the primary themes that uh, this early tradition talks about you can get absorbed in is love, is loving kindness. Isn't that cool? I mean, love is good, right? I mean, some, most, hopefully most of you think that love is basically a good thing in principle. And, and, uh, and, uh, and you, know, and you, you know, it's nice to touch into it. Sometimes you feel a little bit. You might have like someone you really love and it's, you know, but if you really pay attention to your mind, you realize that, well, yeah, you love them and then you think about they didn't wash the dishes and, and then you kind of love them and you think about, you know, you know, what's on Hulu and, and, you, and then you wonder what's for dinner and then you remember the person and you feel some good to them and then you realize you, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it's, you know you're, you're kind of the mind, mind's jumping all over, right? And, uh, but in, in strong meditation practice, the doesn't, mind doesn't jump around. It doesn't get distracted. It's just there. And so for a period of time, your whole experience in a boundless, open, consistent, continuous way is love. Now, isn't that pretty cool that there are people who can do that? I think it's pretty cool. And we all have the capacity for that, to do that, uh, if we practice. It's not easy to do, but this is, you know, it's a strong uh, form of meditation practice. So uh, one more thing that, uh, about this loving kindness. Um, so here's from the Buddha as well. He says, loving kindness shines, blazes, and dazzles. <laughs> Uh, it is like the radiance of all the stars, not equaling one sixteenth the radiance of the moon. Surpassing all the stars, the moon shines, blazes, and dazzles. It is like the sun on a clear autumn day, overpowering all darkness. Overpowering the darkness, the sun shines, blazes, and dazzles. It is like the morning star in the pre dawn darkness. The morning star shines, blazes, and dazzles. Kind of, you know, kind of a nice image for loving kindness. Shines, dazzles. Shines, blazes, and dazzles. Um, so these are kind of, you know, high, you know, kind of exalted language to talk about it. Um, so now I'd like to bring it down to earth. And... Um, so metta, metta, goodwill, kindness, benevolence, uh, friendliness, a friendly attitude towards others. Each of you, I hope, has a reference point for some way of being in the world that corresponds to something like that, some feeling of goodwill, of friendliness to people that uh, you've experienced and maybe one that doesn't as in the meditation practice it's not necessarily because someone's your friend but maybe you've been out in, among strangers and for whatever causes and conditions came together you just were relaxed and happy that day and ready to kind of turn towards someone and just be friendly and you know or be have goodwill or you know you were downtown you know and going about your life and uh, you saw some stranger to town, someone who's never been to that town and um, who's lost. And they, try, they ask you for direction and you're just happy to stop and stand there and offer them direction and after you've did the simple thing, you realize that was just felt good. 
It just was a nice, simple, clean act of goodwill. And um, so what I'd like to ask you to do is to form groups of four and discuss among your group um, what you've learned so far in your lifetime uh, 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 of the of your experience, what have you learned through your experience of good, basic goodwill, kindness, friendliness uh, uh, towards others? Of having basic kindness, goodwill, friendliness. What have you learned? Um, and what I'm interested here is not what you've learned about how difficult it is. I've learned, yes, but, there, but you know, there's all this, you know, uh, what I'm in, uh, interested in sharing and uh, kind of open the field in a nice way, I, I think it can be done realistically. I'm not trying to deny that it's difficult and there's challenges. But some people have a very strong, all of us, I think, have a very strong tendency sometimes to focus on the difficulties in such a way that it kind of limits us from really getting into a topic and, and opening up to the fullness of it. So what I'm interested in is you talking about it from a positive point of view. What have you learned in a positive way, in a helpful way, in a good way that helps you to feel this way or to have this over your lifetime? And, um, and so I have groups of four. And the idea is not, not to talk for a long time, each person. Uh, you don't have to ca- take a long story to get to the point. Uh, try to, you have to tell a story. Try to do it short. And the reason for relatively short is that you, what you want to do is you want to go around the circle uh, and give everybody a chance to speak, and then be influenced by what other people say. So by the time it comes back to you to share again, uh, you've been influenced uh, by others in the sense that um, they said something that reminded you of something, and you understood it in a different way. And then you find yourself surprised that now, oh yeah, there's another way I think. I hadn't, I hadn't realized that, but I learned this other thing. And then you share something new, maybe. But you don't want to spend a lot of time talking again because you want to learn from them. And uh, you don't want to convince them how great you are. Uh, just, just, so share enough, do your part, your gener- generous generosity, share something you've learned, and then take in what they say and see if when you come back to your turn again, uh, what you offer next. And hopefully you have, we have a number of times to go around and around and, um, and uh, learning from each other and hearing and seeing where kind of the group mind, where it goes in this kind of round and around. Um, and um, and I think it's best not to have any crosstalk, you know, just to kind of go around and hear each other and do it that way. Uh, and then at the end, I'll ring the bell and then you can have a little bit of time to talk about the, what that was like as a small group and then we'll do the same thing as a big group. Is that clear enough? So I don't know if we're in a multiple of four here. So what I'd like to propose is that um, if you don't find a group of four, walk towards... <laughs> So as a way of maybe 
following up as a whole group. Um, could some, maybe somebody, could some of you share something that you might have learned in having this conversation? Anything, any, you learned anything, you were surprised by anything? We all talked about how um, loving kindness is incompatible with the desire to be right. <laughs> Everybody had cool contributions around that. It's Great, thank you. Good reminder. One of the um, things that we talked about, which is that loving kindness seems to have to begin with yourself. Great. Thank you. What came up for me was more about uh, the ripple effect of loving kindness and how it may start with something you do or something somebody else does for you, but then it moves on from there in ways that you can't necessarily know what's going to happen. Um, One of the sorts of ripple effect that happened in our group um, that was inspiring was uh, someone sharing that just looking into the other person's eyes and really carefully noticing what's there was it wasn't what she was describing, but was part of the act of kindness that she was doing. So in our group, um, we talked, uh, we all experienced, uh, most of us experienced a sense of a protective shell that keeps us from being um, kind and receiving kindness and noticing how often that happens. Mm. Thank you. So one of the uh, kind of learnings I had was uh, that life provides us enough opportunities to be kind every moment. Um, Whenever we are aware, there is always a chance to be kind. Hmm. It's a choice we make. It's a choice we make, yeah. Yeah. Great, wonderful. And uh, is the corollary also true that... uh, Ill will or is also a choice. And then I wonder if being closed, is that also a choice? Yes. I was uh, delighted to discover that I'm not the only one who has difficulty being, having these wonderful warm feelings all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But that wasn't the topic, remember? You're supposed (laughs) to... <laughs> it's it's those other people's fault. <laughs> Thank you. I was aware that it, sometimes it's really hard to have loving kindness when we're feeling hurt by someone. Mm. And it's a long process. And we talked about how it's progress to go from ill will to neutral. 
<laughs> and then remembering what you were saying in your experience, neutral is not enough. And it, even knowing that, it's not always easy to move to a, a loving kindness um, place. But I, I wonder, with the, in the circumstance of someone who's hurt you, whether the word loving kindness puts too high of a bar for what metta could be, and maybe there could be, maybe it's easier to have goodwill rather than love. In our group, I noticed the ripple effect of. Uh, we all really had some very wide smiles at the end, and we it, that was preceded by hearing a lot of laughter nearby, and it didn't start out that way. Um, also, <laughs> one of our members mentioned how warm she felt and we all kind of tapped into how our bodies had changed during the session Mm. nice nice. (laughs) Um, our group really early on um, told stories about how um, our own feelings of kindness to others was an open to the world experience and you're more likely to experience um, kindness or openness from other people um, or the, the an, a what helps experience of someone when you're being negative and bitchy and making mistakes, somebody responds to you with kindness. It's just kind of, oh, yeah. So I guess it's more ripple effect, but but we couched it more in terms of be the change you want to see um, and how our choices influence the actual reality in which we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, please go. Well, relatedly to what you were saying, Judy, um, we reflected on how... Uh, if it's a stranger uh, who's going ballistic, you don't know the person, and it's easier somehow to just think, oh, this person's suffering, may you be happy, and, and to be, meet the situation calmly. Uh, okay, yeah, thanks. Um, but if it's someone that you know and love a lot and that person's angry at you, then it's um, really hard. So maybe one technique could be to uh, look at this person you care about a lot and who's angry at you and and just pretend this person's a stranger. (laughs) (laughs) Because at that time, he or she is kind of. It's interesting, the difference between, you know, between being close to someone and being a stranger, the different responses we have and, and why there's such a different response. I mean that, um, uh, you know, you, I, I've, I've talked to people about their relationship with their elderly mothers who have been very mean and uh, getting old and senile and really hard to be with. And um, 
But when they, but they, real, they realized that if, they, if it was a neighbor or a woman down the street who was the same way, they would feel for her and be concerned for her, just kind of have more compassion for her. But it's harder for one's own mother because there's different expectations, different history, different all kinds of things. And, um, but why not see your mother as a stranger? You know, she's, I mean, rather than strangers, to see her as a, as a person without the encumbered with the relationship or the history or the, or the, just as a person, just like you would see the person down the street. And by extension, if things are going really well with someone, and maybe you're becoming attracted, falling in love, the hormones are kicking in, maybe it's good to pause now and then and think of that person as a stranger. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you all very much. And um, so um, I hope that this gave you a little bit of exploration of what metta might be. I I think metta doesn't have to have a very rigid definition of what it has to be, what it is. But uh, it has to do with something that arises out of, I, I like to call the tender warmth of the heart the capacity to have warm-hearted feelings for the people around us. And that those warm-hearted feelings, the feeling of empathy and connectedness, can take different forms, which um, the strict definition of it is, depends on the person to person or maybe the situation we're in. But very broadly, it involves having goodwill. Goodwill meaning that wanting something well for someone, wanting them to be, uh, wishing uh, them well, well-wishing. Um, this person is really difficult in my life. I don't like being with this person. I hope this person stays away from me. But I really wish that this person, you know, I really wish well for this person. I wish this person's life thrives, but just, you know, far from me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't have the, I don't have the ability, I don't have the capacity to deal with this, but I really do want the person to thrive and do well. Um, and I think that makes it a little more realistic because if you, if you think you know, I'm supposed to be gushing around this person and I better go find the person I'm supposed to love everyone I better go find that person and <laughs> invite them to live with me and we have a spare bedroom and you know I'll work on it so okay uh, I thought for the last period that, uh, this morning maybe 15 minutes or so we'll do end with a meditation and then we'll stop for lunch. So if, it, if it's helpful for you, uh, you might... Um, See if sitting up tall and straight is helpful. Even though you might not consciously be aware of the self-image you're carrying around with you, many people have a self-image that they, that they have adopted or under. And sometimes they're self-images that belittle us. And through your posture, perhaps you can enter into a self-image, self-sense of being confident. Confident enough that it's okay to have your chest open. 
your heart open, regardless of what's there. And then take a few long, deep breaths, relaxing, letting go as you exhale. Breathing in and breathing out. Letting your breath return to normal. And see if you can tune into the rhythm of in, in breathing, out breathing. And if it's easy, see if you can bring some ease into that rhythm. Maybe by breathing in a teeny bit fuller breaths. Not, not with effort, but just allowing the breath to fill more. Perhaps by letting the out-breath exhale be easy so it takes care of itself, no effort to breathe out. And then see if you can feel your heart area, the area around your heart or your chest, or wherever in your body that you identify with your capacity for empathy and caring, kindness. And feel that part of you. Perhaps you feel some place of tenderness, warmth. If you think it might help you feel more of the connection there, you can put your hand over your heart. And feeling maybe the movement of your chest 
Breathing in and out, imagining your breath moves in and out through that place of warmth or tenderness. Or maybe if it helps to have a memory that connects you, maybe a memory of a time where you felt goodwill or kindness or love in such a way that it wasn't just an idea, but it was a feeling, a sensation through your body. Remember what it felt like in your body. And see if you can bring to mind some living being for whom it's easy for you to feel a tender warmth, a tender caring, kindness. Could be a person you know, or it could be <coughs> an animal, or for whom it's easy for you, kind of brings you a little bit of a smile in your heart when you think of this living being. And imagine this living being sitting here in front of you. And you see it in your mind's eye, remember, think about it. And that you're heart felt warmth or kindness or goodness somehow opens to this being in front of you. Like there's a light in your heart or in your side. Somehow the light is shining glowing, radiating towards this being in front of you. Maybe as you breathe, the rhythm of breathing, the the glow moves outwards like ripples towards this being in front of you. Imagine that maybe like a curtain is being pulled aside or the door is being opened or that that radiance, that warmth that you have that's directed to in front of you begins to spread out towards your right. So not only is it in front of you, but now it's also spreading out to the right of you. Maybe boundlessly in direction of to your right.
and that the glow continues to open up the curtains keeping pulled and around your back, from your right side, you know, including radiating backwards. Filling in, and then moving further around to the left. And from the left to the front, to the whole, all the way around 360 degrees. There's a radiance, like a light bulb which is on, that shines in all directions. So the tenderness, the warmth, the goodness, the kindness of your heart just is. Is and radiates, moves out. as you breathe, the rhythm of breathing supports the radiance or the glow to be like ripples of goodwill that spreads from you out into the universe, spreads and spreads. Relaxing into the depth of your being, to your heart. And in that depth, let there be a openness, a radiance, a glowing, a willingness to let the heart be as wide and openness. The whole world.
and then taking a couple of deep breaths, feeling your body, the edges of your body, contact with the chair and the cushion. Here, and then with some deep breaths afterwards, you can open your eyes. You know, in Buddhism there's um, monastics and uh, one of the lifestyle choices for monastics is um, they're not allowed to have any money. They're really not supposed to have any wealth. They're supposed to have very little. A bowl to eat from and a travel bag and a set of robes and a few things. But, you know, pretty simple lifestyle of voluntary simplicity and poverty even. So conventionally, they don't have... Remember Ajahn Amaro, a monk, <clears throat> was given a tour, I think, of the San Francisco Financial District many years ago. And, um, and uh, I guess the person was talking about American financing. <clears throat> He's from England originally. And uh, his tour guide said to him, uh, you're more wealthy than most Americans. And Ajahn Amaro said, What? <laughs> You know, I don't have any money. I'm nothing. <clears throat> and the guy said, you're not in debt. <laughs> but here's um, what the Buddha had to say for, for monastics. Uh, what is wealth for a monastic? Here, a monastic abides pervading the East with a mind accompanied with loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and or equanimity. And likewise, the south, the west, and the north. Above, below, horizontally, everywhere, and all over, one pervades the whole world with a mind accompanied with loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. Extensive, expanded, limitless, free from hatred and ill will. This is wealth for a monastic. So, um, what's more important? The amount of money you have in the bank account? or the amount of Brahma-viharas that you have in your heart. Where's the real wealth? Uh, which is portable? Mm. You know, which is going to kind of maybe more likely to stay around in a more reliable way? When I was in Burma, they... Um, uh, I was sitting meditating, minding my own business for months at a time. But one day I woke up to the news that uh, the government had decided that uh, the currency, the paper currency in Burma, was just no longer valid. They were just weren't going to honor it anymore. Just, that was it. You know. <laughs> and, um, and they were going to print new money and you had to get new money, but the old one was no longer valid. It was a way of kind of uh, taking the... Under, undermining the black market, which there was a huge one. People had all this money in there under their mattresses and stuff, and so that money was no longer good. And um, 
and I thought, you know, it says in God we trust. And I thought there was something, you know, that you could count on with money. But even, you know, maybe, who knows? We'll wake up one day and they'll say that we made a mistake and decided not to do it that way. But this, you know, real wealth that, that can last, right? So hopefully that's something which has a greater value. So this idea of radiating metta this, uh, is uh, some people can, can take to it very nicely. Some people don't take to it. It's fine to not to take to it. Some people find it more helpful than the kind of directed metta where you, you know, first do oneself and others and friends and neutral people and, en- and enemies. Um, but we'll do that next time, the more the directed way, the technique. But I like this kind of uh, undirected, uh, or this kind of more radiant metta for a number of reasons. One is it seems like the baseline, it's kind of like the foundation for the others. It's also that it is, um, it uh, seems to be kind of represent more the natural capacity of the heart when we're deeply relaxed and open. Um, it doesn't require us to do anything. And, um, and also it allows, I think, the mind to get quieter and quieter. Some people, when you do the phrases of loving kindness, it kind of keeps the mind active a little bit more. And so it's something very quieting about just radiating and just being, just being and not having to do a lot. So um, we'll take about an hour for lunch. So it's about, maybe start, hopefully we can start in here again at one o'clock. Uh, if those of you, there are people here, plenty of people here have been here before, so they know to take out folding tables and chairs, either in the outer hall, or if they think the weather is nice enough for it, you're welcome to take the folding table and the chairs and take it out in the, in the uh, parking lot, and there's plenty of space there. And, um, and then just to make sure to bring everything back and by before one o'clock to have the tables and chairs put away and, and a little bit of cleaned up. So um, enjoy your lunch. Thank you.